0: Welcome to Alumni Ask. On this podcast, you, our University of Queensland community, ask the questions. Alumni
1: Ask is your conversation with the experts.
0: My name is Michael Jones. I'm the editor of UQ's alumni magazine, Contact, and your host for today's podcast. Today, from our at-home recording studios, we'll be chatting with Professor John Mangan from the UQ Business School about the challenges faced by Australia's football codes during the COVID-19 crisis and what their futures might look like. While codes such as the NRL prepare to resume the season on May 28 and clubs head back to training, the financial impact of COVID-19 on sport has been devastating. We thought there was no one better to discuss the future of our four football codes than Professor Mengen. Aside from being a dedicated NRL and sports fan, our guest is an economics professor and the director of the Australian Institute for Business and Economics. Professor Mengen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thanks very much. Well, before we begin our alumni questions, um, would you like to explain in your own words your role at UQ and your research background and expertise?
1: Currently, I'm Director of the Australian Institute of Business and Economics. It's designed to do apply economic research. Quite recently, we've been working on the COVID Task Force about what will happen to the economy as we come back out of isolation. Still do a little bit of teaching in the business school, and that's business of professional sport. last five or 10 years, I've done a lot of sports economics, and that's across NRL, soccer, cricket. The COVID really interests me because it shows up a trend that's been happening in Australian sport for a long time. It's accelerated all the issues that are there. Uh, In terms of sport, I've had a long sporting involvement. Money is characterized by longevity rather than ability. but I just have an interest in sport and, and it's a perfect match for economics. Every principle of economics is apparent in professional sport.
0: So as I mentioned in the introduction, NRL clubs have resumed training in preparation for a May 28 return to competition but I thought we could just rewind and recap just how Australia's football codes have reacted to the COVID-19 crisis.
1: Well, they're slightly different. I suppose if you look at the three major winter ones, Union, League and, and AFL, the AFL were pretty quickly on the bandwagon and I imagine that comes from Victorian government. And so they basically suspended competition straight away. The NRL, I think, were in a different position. One, because they had less state borders to cross. They had less teams to worry about. And I think they needed money more. So for all of these reasons, they were attempting to keep it going. After two weeks, it became very obvious that they were swimming against the tide. And rather than being seen as courageous or being seen as silly. The union, of course, was again slightly different. They were in a much more parlous position financially. They were without a sponsorship. There was no great pressure from the television companies for them to keep going because no one was sponsoring them. So, again, they, they were very quick to close up. The NRL was sort of the standout in terms of trying to keep going. And one of the reasons for that, funnily enough, was that they, hit, they were saying to get a massive audience overseas. They were getting big audiences in the US because it was one of the few organised sports still being played in the world. And uh, if you go through some of the websites, it's quite interesting. The Americans were quite impressed by the NRL
0: and the OFA. So whether that continues, whether it was simply a novelty, we don't know. Okay, so considering all that has gone on, we have received the following questions from our alumni community on the future of football. So are you ready if I fire away some of these questions? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so Stephen, a 2002 Bachelor of Arts graduate, has asked, why did sport appear to collapse so suddenly when physical distancing restrictions were implemented?
1: That's a good question. Bear in mind that a lot of other people started to collapse. You know, hotels closed down, Qantas was in trouble, Virgin was in receivership. So I don't think we could particularly blame sporting club, but what it does show is the fragility of professional sport in Australia. What we have is almost a classic market saturation. We're the only country in the world that has four major codes of football. If you take into account the rise of female sport, you've really got eight teams. So that's a lot of sponsorship to cover. That's a lot of players' wages to cover. We simply are oversaturated. It illustrates, if you like, the extent to which their finances were skewed. They were totally dependent on sponsorship, overly high wages bill. You think about it, they don't the 30 players in each club, full-time professionals, whether they played or not. Now, that's very, very large exposure because nobody, nobody assumed the whole season was going to close down. But what we were finding was the media and sponsorship were getting much more discerning about who they going to, what they were going to pay for. So basically what I think is that it exposed the fact that the clubs were in a fairly parlous position anyway. There's only three clubs in the NRL that actually make a profit and are four in the AFL. So all of those other teams are being carried.
0: And as soon as something came along, it it showed up dramatically. So Cormac, a 2014 Bachelor of Commerce alumnus, has asked two questions. The first, why were there no contingency plans made? not necessarily for a global pandemic, but for periods of potential no football slash income, i.e. why was there no money set aside for a rainy day?
1: Uh, Look, that's a very good question. I mean, poor management. If you look at Australian sport in general, the AFL is slightly better than most people, but the skills of their managers and their professional staff is, is minuscule compared to the United States and Britain. It's still run almost on a college industry kind of, even though they're large, important businesses, they're not run properly. They should have had contingency future funds, but they should have had insurance for players' wages. You know, any sensible professional earning large amounts of money has wage insurance. Now, they could have easily had that insurance and they could have had insurance against, you know, interruptions to the season. Again, nobody predicted COVID, but they could have had that at a fairly cheap rate because the season's never been disrupted before. So the answer, very simple, is, is poor management. And because we have this still continuing situation in Australia where ex-players become CEOs without any real attempt to do training and, and we've seen one disaster after another.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, the NRL is just a, a prime example of the code that just seemed to have absolutely no wiggle room at all. Exactly. Cormac's second question is, does getting the game back sooner as all other sports and businesses are still in lockdown until May 28th at least. Does this damage the image of the NRL as a whole? That's an excellent question. I, I actually wrote
1: an article then, decided not to put it in, uh, applauding the NRL from, for, for coming back because the role that sport plays in social morale is, is amazing. Just an amazing ability for sport to bring about social cohesion. Now, the danger is, unfortunately, much as I love the sport, is the, is the players themselves, whether they will actually behave in a reasonable manner, whether they will take this opportunity to be a vanguard for Australian society, getting back to normal, or whether they'll mess it up. My view is that the NRL is doing the right thing. Uh, it's just a question of how they manage it. So, uh,
0: yeah, look, I, I support it from the word go. I think it has to be carefully managed. There has been a few minor hiccups already along the way with a few players making headlines for the wrong reasons of breaking social distancing rules. We have to tread lightly to make sure that this May twenty-eight return happens and and it happens um, in all the right ways.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, unfortunately, there's been so many rugby league
0: scandals that people are a little bit lase about it, but I, I think you're completely right. So building on from that question, Adam, a 2018 Bachelor of Business Management and Commerce graduate has asked, do you think the NRL is being socially irresponsible with the rapid plans to get back to playing? I think it's a case of commercial interests superseding the interests of the wider community. The other codes must have access to the same or similar information. Why aren't they in similar plans? P.S. I was in your 2017 MGTS double three o two class. I hope you're well. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, now, look, I, I think what they're trying to do is to show that it is possible to operate in a closed environment. And we've seen the Bundesliga starting up in Germany, where the COVID is much more prevalent. There is sport in, in South Korea, albeit no audience. So I really don't think they were, they were outrageous in doing that. I think the other clubs, the AFL, uh, are moving towards it under a different plan starting in, in June. No, my, my personal view is they weren't, but it depends really much on management and we've already seen players now not refusing to take vaccines and things, which is, of course, they're right, but this is going to work. They have to be particularly careful not, not to upset the rest of the public or to put them in danger. Uh,
0: speaking of players coming back and, and going into hubs, Jacob, a 2019 Bachelor of Physiotherapy graduate, has asked, Are we asking too much of our athletes to isolate themselves away from their families for 20 weeks in a hub?
1: There are lots of families that do that. You you find the seafarers who are away 12 weeks at a time, the the border force people who, who leave their families and go away for three months and then come back. It's not ideal. These people are earning large amounts of money. They have short careers. I would think that it's a sacrifice that they should be willing to make and bear in mind it's voluntary. Nobody has to do it.
0: I guess I'll have a follow-up question to this one. Is, it's more about the financial impact of these hubs and what kind of impact financially will they have on, on the game in um, setting them up and the communities that they're going into?
1: Going back to the NRL, I don't want to make an exclusive discussion of the NRL, but clearly they're in financial trouble. They've just negotiated a $250 million loan from English Bank at an undisclosed interest rate, but I imagine it to be fairly high in this environment. The hubs will be expensive, and the television company, Channel 9 in particular, are reluctant to, to pay to the extent that they did. They fear loss of advertising and sponsorship. This is a, a risky investment in the future of the game. They're trying to get a leg up to keep it established, and, and I think to use the crisis to really reform the structure. Because I think that the wages structure will change, and we may even in fact get the idea of people having a job and, and playing, so having semi-professionals playing the game maybe a core of about five or six key players, but not having 30 people without a job, completely dependent upon their earnings on the football field. Um, whether that be good or bad, I don't know. I, I've got a feeling that there will be this massive restructuring of, of earnings in the game.
0: Bit of a throwback to the old school football. I watched the other day a 1980s replay when players would score a try and their stats would come up and they'd have their name and job title next to it.
1: Yes, yes. We we have sort of like that. If you look at the Queensland Cup, all those players are semi professionals. So you clean up your administration, you
0: reduce the the wage bill, and you've got to hope of surviving. So, Grace, a 2019 Bachelor of Physiotherapy alumnus, has asked As women's sport, AFLW in particular, is in its fledgling years and not overly sponsored. How will the season being cut short and less money in the budget overall affect seasons and the team lists moving forward? Good question. The rise of female
1: sport has been, been dramatic and uh, taken up by Australia. And I've looked at it from the point of view of sponsorship. Um, look, this is not good for them. At, at a period of time in which they were trying to get respectability and credibility build up sponsorship, the, the whole season's being interrupted. One of the good things, though, about female AFL, NRL, and union. And I heard this from discussing with the netball teams. He said female netball used to be a monopoly on the athletes in Australia. Now it doesn't. And in fact, there's more glamour in playing for the um, AFLW than there is for playing for the um, the Firebirds. I I think they will suffer this season, but I think on on the long run, the fish is pretty good because they, they have a large group of female athletes now who have a choice. And if they have a choice, I think they'd prefer to play AFL and and league than than netball. And so you'll get, I think, you've got a a good supply of people coming into the game. But this year, not good.
0: It was particularly poor timing for the AFLW. They were just about to play their finals. Yeah, we can't get away
1: from it. It's not good. What they have to do now is to use social media, to use their contacts, to start to build up membership. A bit like the Melbourne Storm did in Melbourne. they they went from membership of 6,000 to over 30,000 now. Once you get that membership and you get the hardcore fans that's where you start to to take off and again there are sponsors in australia which i think will be more willing to sponsor female sport than they are for male sport there's going to be less controversy there's going to be you know a better feel good factor about it so just use this time off unfortunate as it is to start to build your membership base and your sponsorship base
0: callum a bachelor of advanced finance and economics honors graduate has asked: Would a system of relegation and promotion between professional and semi-professional leagues help or hinder football codes as they evolve post-virus?
1: Uh, look, I'd love to see it, but I, I think initially they have enough problems working out their finances in the current structure than, than worrying about that. But look, that that would be would feed into my idea about this going back to semi-professionalism because it would allow players to, in a sense, almost quite voluntary transfer between the two systems. If you have a system now and you're, you're a graded, A-grade player in the AFL and somebody says, oh, and we're going to swap you and now and clubs has been relegated, I don't think sponsors and I don't think the players would accept it at the moment. So what, what I'd like to see would be maybe a situation where, going back to the, the rugby league, where the top teams in the National Queensland Cup and the New South Wales Cup, the top two teams out of there were going to admission and the bottom two teams out of the NRL dropped out. You see, in, in Premier League in England, uh, a lot of interest is not so much on who's going to win because you know it's going to be one of the five clubs that's going to win. It's, it's interested who's going to stay up. And so you have this long relegation battle and, and all the fans come and watch it and it rates very well. And that would, ha- that would rate well here. If you had, if you start to finance a relegation, but it would have to be sort of one or two teams. It couldn't be dramatic, but I think it would work, and I I would actually would love to see it. It would would be a lifeblood because it would it would enable players to recognise that maybe they do have to have a job. Maybe the next season they're going to be back at back in in the second division, and it would lead to shorter contracts.
0: Would it also um, be a way to solve the the expansion argument at the moment as well with the argument that there's maybe too many clubs in Sydney or in AFL, there's too many clubs in Melbourne. And, and if, if some of those vulnerable teams dropped out, you could see teams come through from, from other areas. But I guess the, the argument has always been that there's the standard of, of players coming through. You know, there isn't enough to fill an extra team. Yeah, look, I, I, I've heard that argument. I, I don't put any credence, well, very little credence in it.
1: Mostly any player that's actually been called on to come in and step up does. You could argue, obviously, that the more teams, the the greater demand there is on quality players. But I think there are many Queensland Cup players, for example. I'm sure there are many VFL players who could easily step up. We see it in in State of Origin. You know, Players that are fairly unknown come in and, and they distinguish themselves. Whether they could keep that for the whole season, we don't know. But I think the substitution is much greater than people think. And a lot of this exclusivity has been constructed by player agents who are trying to
0: get more players for their money for their players. You know, we're special, we're great, no one else is as good as us. I don't think that's true. So, Robert, a 2014 Bachelor of Commerce and Law graduate has asked, while the short-term financial impact will be acute, is there a chance that there may be a first-mover advantage for these codes in establishing their own direct-to-consumer slash OTT platform? thereby directly controlling the relationship with their audiences and being directly able to monetize that relationship.
1: Oh, look, I think I'd love that. One of the backgrounds and the environment in sport at the moment is to the, is the break down what we used to call bilateral monopolies, where you'd have one supplier and, and, and one, one media company which, which ran it. Now you've got so many different platforms in which the game can be presented that the media companies, and, and we can see through Foxtel, they got their own business problems, but we can see through Foxtel and other places that they're less willing to pay for sport at the same time as the cost of sports going up. Yeah. I know Manchester United do this, they, they directly control many of, the, of their outputs. I think every club would absolutely love it if they had some degree of control over their presentation and be able to directly charge. It would take contractual changes, it would take some investment uh, in infrastructure, and it would take some professional management. Probably all of those three they haven't got at the moment, but it's something to work towards. I think it would be a fantastic idea in terms of self-financing, yes.
0: Finally, Shannon, a 2008 Master of Finance alumnus, has asked, what changes do you foresee for football in Australia post-pandemic? Will the structure or finance models of sport have to change?
1: Well, the finance models have to change. There's so no question about that. They've got any money. Uh, even the AFL is, is recently strapped. The AFL-NRL contrast is really interesting. The AFL get a lot of people to the game. And if you look at their, their finance structure, about 40% comes from attendance. The NRL, it's less than 20%. So they're pretty much a media-controlled product. So getting that finance structure in a way set up is, is correct. Now, what else is going to happen? Well, it depends how long those distancing rules go on. And I can't see big crowds coming back to the football, particularly in the AFL style, for a long time. So they're going to be hit straps. So they have to cut their costs and they have to look for other ways of expansion. Australia has a very poor record of of exporting its sport. We do well for cricket. But some of our big sports, female sports, netball, only goes to Commonwealth countries. Rugby League goes to England, maybe a little bit to New Zealand. AFL, bits in pieces in South Africa, a little bit to Ireland, but poor. So looking for international markets is another way in which they can expand.
0: Absolutely. More specifically, I wanted to ask, we've talked a lot about NRL and, a- and AFL. Personally, what's your view on the future of rugby union? It was struggling anyway. This appears to be just, a, you know, almost a straw that broke the camel's back. It's a conundrum. If you look at the growth of rugby across the world, it's good. If you look at the exposure of sevens
1: in U.S colleges, excellent they're growing. Australia they're contracting to the point that in terms of television viewing they're behind the elite. So what they have to do is to get back rivalry. play New Zealand, get the British Lions over here. so they have to bring rugby back to the crowds. I don't think the rugby union as a top line professional sport in Australia can survive unless it goes back to its club structure. And and secondly, unless it, it has some degree of injection of, of players. One of the things that people don't realise is that the, the Polynesian players who were traditionally the, the base for rugby union are now playing league. And, and so they're losing their traditional base and having to, to buy players in at, at fairly high expense. So get back to club rugby and maybe look for some kind of cooperation with the league. It doesn't mean they have to be, be United Code, but they could share facilities, they could share grounds, even player exchanges. Both codes are in financial trouble. Then want to seek some kind of, of unification, sharing of costs?
0: So finally, uh, I'd like to finish on a, on a positive note. Sport has always inspired Australians in difficult times. We look back to Farlap and, and Bradman during the Great Depression. As a sports fan, how much are you looking forward to sport returning and how do you think it will change our outlook as a society? In a personal sense, immensely looking forward to it. Um, It's almost like there's been
1: a death in the family because Friday night games haven't been on and I've been watching old games. They do inspire people and sport is in the forefront of it. The only thing that worries me now is the modern sportsman is a much more privileged person and much more removed from society. They have plenty of money, they're coddled, they're... You know, they make mistakes and everybody says, oh, that's okay because they're under under pressure. They're under no pressure compared to the people who lose their jobs in hospitality. So if they can behave themselves and act and realise the privileged position they've got, I think people will be absolutely thrilled to see the AFL and all the professional sports back.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm personally looking forward to it as well. Professor Mangan, thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening to Alumni Ask. If you have a question you would like answered or an expert you would like asked, let us know. You can submit your questions by emailing us at uqalumni at or connecting with us on social media. Thanks for listening and until next time, keep asking.